This is Keyshawn Rains, the host of Working Title with Keyshawn Rains, where amazing things happen. A series of past the collection plate style conversations with a Creole, queer, femme, yogi, mom, coach, author, and of course, podcast host with a nomadic soul, a quirky sense of humor, and an activator of empowerment. These conversations are just a chance for me to speak on ways to be mindful in a mindless world. Stories are shared, folks are empowered, inspired, and impacted to be more phenomenal versions of themselves through simple conversations about complex like love, life, and the pursuit of being real. Thanks for listening. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Working Title. Today, I am sharing a conversation with a very special guest. My family, something people may not know, is a family who is very different (laughs) than, than many others. I'm sure every family, of course, is unique. However, Within my immediate family, there are a couple of family members who are actually diagnosed as being on the autism spectrum, including two of my cousins who are actually brothers. One of my cousins I had as a guest earlier last year, and now I get to have a conversation with his brother, which I'm super excited about. Today's conversation is going to go into a couple of different things. One particular thing that I wanted to talk about was what the experiences look like for a person who is differently abled and not just a person, but a black person, not just a black person, a black man. And so my cousin, Drew Cox, is going to share a little bit about himself and we're going to have an amazing conversation and I just wanted to share it with you and in hopes that this will draw some attention and awareness to what it's like to be differently abled. So sit back, get comfortable, take a couple of long, deep cleansing breaths and get ready for another conversation. Just so you know, I'm recording our our conversation here on Zoom, and then I'm also recording on another device for the audio for the podcast. So I am so happy that you're here. I just I've really been looking forward to this conversation. And um, before we like officially dive in, I just want to remind you that you can take as long as you'd like to respond to any of the questions that I have for you. If you have any questions for me, please feel free to ask and I'm happy to answer. We're going to spend some time talking about a couple of the things that you know you shared with me in our discussion offline earlier this week. And then I have some fun questions that I like to ask at the end of our conversation as well. So if you are ready to rock and roll, I will go ahead and get us started. Let me just make sure I have so many tabs open on my <laughs> on my computer screen. Do you ever have like so many tabs open and then you wonder like, wait, what was I working on last? Like, I don't know. I think I have a little bit of like a, I have a little bit of a funny, funny mind sometimes where I I think that I have everything all under control and everything's organized and then something happens and 
my phone rings or I get an unexpected text message and next thing I know, I'm like, what was I doing again? What was I talking about? <laughs> so getting everything together. All right. Well, first we're gonna start with you taking a moment to introduce yourself to my listeners and I'd like you to share your name, where you're from, and what you stand for. And what I stand for as in, what what does that mean exactly? What is most important to you? Okay. Okay. Um, Hello everyone who's listening. My name is Drew Cox. I am from Los Angeles, California. And the thing that is most important to me is um, being able to gain independence and freedom. Independence and freedom. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that means for you, independence and freedom? So independence, okay. Independence is basically just having the space to um, work um, by myself on on tasks um, that I know I can achieve. Um, now, um, that doesn't mean that I won't allow, you know, um, others to help me. Um, I know that's been a challenge um, in the past uh, because I would often... Um, you know, uh, turn down others who do actually want to help uh, because I don't want to be a burden to others. Mm. Um, Now for freedom, um, freedom is like a relative term. And freedom to me is basically um, being able um, to um, express um, my true feelings about any subject, no, um, no matter how taboo or um, how, you know, or how, um, how um, trivial it is. Mm. So that's what I mean by freedom. And then being able to express my true feelings um, without... Um, feeling judged. Yeah, I can relate to that so much. When you speak about being able to talk about things that are taboo or trivial, and to do so without judgment, and to talk about feelings without judgment is really profound. Because a lot of times, it's difficult for for people to just fully express themselves and to be totally honest and transparent and not worry about hurting anybody's feelings or rubbing someone the wrong way or even offending someone. However, sometimes when we're so restricted with our expression, it gets lost in translation. You know, we're sometimes busy trying to make sure that we're being polite or that we're being friendly, or that we're being nice. But then sometimes there's things that we really want to talk about that we're either passionate and excited about, or even things that make us angry and piss us off that we want to be able to just say, hey, this is how I'm really feeling about it. So 
I never really thought about that as an expression of freedom. So thank you for sharing that. That definitely gave me like a new perspective. And freedom is one of those words, like you said, is relative to the individual and what that looks like for each of us is unique. And so thank you for that. Thank you for that. I want you to talk to me a little bit about what it's like being from Los Angeles. You know, there's a lot of people who live in Los Angeles, but I'm noticing as time progresses, there's less and less people who live in Los Angeles that are actually from LA. So can you tell me what do you think is maybe one of the biggest misconceptions about Los Angeles? I think one of the misconceptions of Los Angeles is that, um, is that even though it has, uh, I was doing my own research, like the third highest like crime rate, um, and that there was a lot of um, talk about um, gang gangs being formed. I mean, I was looking in in like you know the culture of like hip hop and how it came to be. And so, yes, there were gangs in the past, like the Bloods and the Crips. Um, but that's not really all there is to it. Um, LA is extremely like diverse, especially when it comes to downtown. You can basically see a homeless guy on one sidewalk and a, a billionaire <laughs> on another. Okay, so you want to talk about diversity, um, there you go, okay, because it's not just diversity, it's also, um, you're, you're also exposed to the hierarchy of, of people, the different hierarchy of people. Um, and I remember um, living in downtown, I owned a apartment, uh, no, we actually rented an apartment at 825 um, South Hill. Um, and so the, uh, receptionists were very nice. We, um, on the sixth floor, uh, where we stayed at, I believe the 26th floor, um, there was a pool there, uh, at the sixth floor and I, uh, go there a lot just to swim. Um, and I was, um, very, um, fascinated, um, by like the overall landscape. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about this hierarchy of people in LA. Could you describe that a little more? So when I say hierarchy, I mean that you can see like, I believe a bank in America, um, like there are actually like people who um, work there. Um, and on the same ground, there's like, you know, like beggars, like, people who want to say, hey, um, hey, could you loan me some change? Um, some of them only ask for food, but but still, it's like, there's like a whole nother vibe going on there. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned that. The last time that I was downtown LA was, I want to say like summertime last year. And I have a cousin on my dad's side of the family, like a, a distant cousin on my dad's side, who goes down to Skid Row every week on Saturday mornings and has been doing so for probably like the past five to 10 years. And 
she goes down on Saturdays and she has a little team of people that come with her, maybe five or six other people, and they go down and they give food and clothing and even more. Like they donate like toothbrushes and toiletries and all these kinds of things. The very first time, the very first time that I remember going downtown LA was with my dad when I was a kid and we went down every year around like Thanksgiving time and we would have like clothes and shoes and things that we would go and donate and I remember thinking to myself when you mentioned the hierarchy of people in LA reminded me of this what would it look like you know I imagine like I love TV so I imagine like a reality TV show or like a scripted show what would it look like if a millionaire switched lives like a freaky Friday with a homeless person, what would that look like? <laughs> I wonder. But wasn't there a movie? Uh, Was there? Well, well, there's Trading Places, if we think yeah. about it. You know what I mean? We think of Trading Places, Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd, which was kind of along those lines where they kind of switched his life for him. But I wonder, even in like a modern day reality show type show where we have like a Richard Branson type, you know, Bronson type guy from, you know, Virgin Atlantic who switches places with like the random guy, you know, on the corner of, you know, Figaro and 7th and to see like how that would change them, you know, like I'm, I'm always curious about that kind of thing. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that you are interested in. You shared so much with me in your, you know, pre-podcast interview, and we got to talk a little bit about it. I know that you are a film buff and a TV buff. I think that's kind of just in our family. I think we just like TV and film. You know, your brother's a film student. My son's a film student. You're into entertainment and film and, and everything. So I noticed that you have a couple of favorites in your genres of TV and film, action, adventure, animation, anime, dark comedy, psychological thrillers, and then, you know, what I love, one of my personal favorites is the witty teen dramas. Can you tell me what some of your favorite dark comedies are, film or TV, your choice? So, um, some of my favorite dark comedies um, are um, Get Out and The Hangover. <laughs> can we talk a little more about get out i never consider that a dark comedy tell me a little bit more about that so um if you actually uh look up online what get out uh in this like in the genre of dark comedy mm -hmm. um some would argue that okay it's um more of a thriller right. um and i i would add have to agree with them in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, but dark comedy basically um, makes fun or laughs at the um, absurdity of the vices committed. That's like any uh, dark comedy would. And so, um, and so you see a little uh, com comedy um, in the film because it provided like social commentary within the film mm -hmm. of um, house slavery. Um, and how that was um, relevant um, at that time. Mm -hmm. And so even though it's a very um, sensitive topic, um, it's, it's still um, laughable because you see like the protagonist basically struggling just to get out of that situation. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, I 
of course have seen Get Out. You know, I saw it in the theater a couple of times and it won for best screenplay, you know, the Oscars that year. And then the next movie that we saw from Jordan Peele was Us. Would you consider Us to fall into like that dark comedy genre? Or what are some of the, the differences, I guess, between those two that stood out to you? I think I think for us, um, and um, I, I gotta be honest, um, they tried it like after like Get Out and then Work Out okay. as well. <laughs> but I think the difference between Get Out and us is that Get Out, like I said before, provides the social com commentary that's relevant. Mm. Uh, us uh, didn't provide it at all. I agree. Uh, well, I'm sorry. What were you gonna I was say? saying no. I was saying I I agree. Continue. And so, and that and that's the thing. Uh, there were um, elements that maybe they were trying to be uh, comedic about, but didn't exactly pan out um, the way it would want to pan out. Um, and I, I and I believe that's um, that's the difference. Mm, I like that. That's noticeable. How about these witty teen drama shows? I'm very curious to know what some of your favorites are in that particular category. So um, the the two that I watch um, uh, most recently are mm -hmm. uh, on my block. You heard that show? I've heard of that. Is a Netflix original? Yeah. Ah uh, yes, okay. and uh, I saw that it's like you know the top like the most watched on Netflix. Yeah. Um, and then there's All American. You heard oh, that one? I've heard of both. And I've only seen, I think, one episode of On My Block. I haven't seen All American. Now, tell me a little bit more about that particular genre, even these particular shows. What draws you to them? What keeps you interested? So these type of shows to me serve as an inspiration for me to build uh, mental fortitude and to promote social and uh, political change. Mm. Do you feel, in your opinion, or do you think, I should say, that the representation of like the typical American teen experience is reflected in these shows? Um, what do you mean by that? Um, what I know? mean is, you know how when you imagine like a TV show that like one of my favorite movies, I'll use an example, is Clueless, which was like, you know, a witty teen comedy, you know, from the 90s. And while it was entertaining, it had some elements that were accurate, but my high school didn't look like that. So it was kind of like, uh, maybe like an augmented or like a fantasized version of like a typical American teen in the 90s. Do you think that like the show's All American or On My Block, do you think that it represents like accurately what's going on in teens life or do you think it's like the hollywood version of it does it feel real or does it feel like fantasized it doesn't to me it doesn't feel fantasized at all um i i feel i feel what's unique on like on my block uh, in all american to like other um previous teen shows mm -hmm. is that on my block uh does a great job of like representing um uh multi-dimensional 
uh, characters. And so all American uh, pretty, pretty much does the same thing. And so um, the, the conflict um, that's often in these um, two works is not about, oh, it's, you know, uh, someone's vaping or someone's uh, blowing someone else. It's not focused on that at all. Right. No, it's focused on um, things that are more, um, what's it, what's the word? Uh, contemporary. Okay. So, okay. so like um, All American, for example, mm-hmm. it actually um, tackles the, t- um, you see why they did tackle. tackle. It's, I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it tackles the um, subjects of classism and uh, racism and some elements of drug abuse. Um, and then there's on my blog that basically, um, focuses on four, um, very smart, um, kids. The names are Monse, uh, Caesar, Jamal, and Ruby. And they're trying to get Caesar out of the gang, um, by, um, by finding the Wolver, with world money that's uh, rumored to be like huge mm-hmm. um, and it's like hidden somewhere it's kind of like some conspiracy seen as some conspiracy theory okay interesting. yep interesting okay would you say when you look at teen dramas for instance and kind of staying in this genre for a little bit the show that you mentioned on my block there's four main characters those four main characters, I'm guessing, I think I remember seeing like one episode are relatively like checking all the racial diversity boxes. Like there's like Latinx character, white character, black character. When I when you look at teen dramas in particular, what are some of your thoughts about the representation of characters that are differently abled and the way that they're portrayed? in in tv and film can you talk a little bit about that uh differently able what what does that mean differently abled is a term that i was actually introduced to by your brother um it was a common conversation that um that we had last year and if we think of the terminology that we use and the language that we use to describe or categorize anyone that has any type of disability or difference in the way that they process and 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 show up in the world he introduced me to this word differently abled which i was like i like that because it it takes away a little bit of the stigma so when i think about tv and film i notice that we're starting to expand the representation of who shows up on on camera and it's you know racially diverse and of course gender diversity but i wonder about the representation of people who are disabled or differently abled. And I wanted to know some of your thoughts on that. I think that, um, the, um, I think in my post, um, post 2020, Mm -hmm. I I feel that there are like TV shows, um, that do, um, have, um, like, uh, a, a quote unquote disabled person mm-hmm. playing the role um, of his own, t- of his own 
their own TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in the past, um, such as like um, atypical. Here we go. Um, that was more. Um, the protagonist was more of a stereo um, type um, version of a person who was on the spectrum, and that can really send um, a lot of um, very mixed messages about how uh, people on the spectrum in general, not just people of color, mm-hmm. but in uh, how they're um, portrayed. And I feel like you know the representation will. Um, progressively um, get better if we uh, really just uh, focus on um, educating um, the world about uh, what um, what really defines um, a quote-unquote disability how do you how do you say a person is um, you know a how do you say a person is this able or has like a mental illness when uh you um can't really um you know look at the situation on all look at a particular situation on all sides that's such a good point yeah that's such a good point it's like how do we measure someone's ability you know how do we measure someone's ability to be this or that like who determines what that spectrum looks like and you mentioned on the spectrum so for those who don't know can you talk a little bit about what that means to be on the spectrum or to be diagnosed as being on the spectrum so being on a spectrum um if you were to look at the wikipedia definition of spectrum it's basically like a a range and so it's like a range of like diagnosis it's like how severe uh is um your diagnosis with a certain quote-unquote disability mine um there are some people on the i believe on the left side right side um on like one extreme end i should say mm-hmm. uh who have like more severe symptoms mm-hmm. of that quote-unquote disability i fall on the category of the less severe okay. or kind of somewhere in the middle and so um i know for me that um even though i'm able to um able to walk um and i and i know some people that don't have that Mm -hmm. um have that capability and i do i I do pray for them Mm -hmm. um there are um you know mental um there are like um, neuro like um, disconnections and mental challenges that I struggle with. Um, something I'm learning more about myself is that um, although I um, am a- able to, you know, walk and talk, mm-hmm. uh, I um, I had like poor uh, motor skills as a child, mm. and so. Um, my coordination was kind of whack. And so that's why, that's why I couldn't, uh, you know, when I tried out for basketball, when I was in um, second grade, I was pretty trash. No, so. no good. Okay. <laughs> no, uh, 
I'm glad you mentioned that when you were younger that you had challenges with motor skills. And the reason I, it, it's interesting to me is because I know that you also love video games. So did you start playing video games young as well? Or when did you start getting into video games? I believe I started game. Actually, I know I started um, getting into video games when um, I believe my mom exposed me to Kirby Air Ride, which is what cousin uh, Jared gave, gave me. Um, mm -hmm. And for those who are listening, uh, that's just, that's a relative of, of mine. Um, <laughs> um, who we who we know and love pretty much. Mm -hmm. um, now, um, Kirby Air Ride was um, just like one of a kind. Uh, it wasn't like most other racing um, games where you have to hold a button for like, um, was it like about like more more than like five minutes and stuff. Um, but basically what makes it so unique is that most of the vehicles or we call them air ride machines in the game, they uh, move on their own. And so all you have to do um, is basically press the, the button to stop the machine and then release it to uh, gain a boost. Okay. Uh, those are like some pretty, um, there were like some pretty, um, pretty uh, creative um, courses within the, within this game. And so that's when I really started um, into like video games. Um, I remember playing uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, the old school, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, also playing, playing like Super Mario Brothers. Mm -hmm. uh, and really what those games have in common for me is that there is just a single um, goal and that although the design and, you know, the steps may be uh, simplistic, mm -hmm. um, it's not always easy to get to that goal. Right, right, but, right. And the reason I asked is when I think about motor skills and I think about, you know, developing motor skills, you know, as a parent, I remember, you know, your, your children are young and you're like, here, I'm going to put, you know, Legos in your hand or I'm going to put you know, the little blocks or something in your hand. And then you get older, I'm going to put a pen or a crayon or a pencil and kind of see, you know, where they where they take it from there. And some people who struggled or were challenged with motor skills really thrived with video games. And it was always really fascinating to me because when I sit in front of a video game, I mean, granted, I am a little older and I do remember when like the first Nintendo came out and it was like a really big deal and I was super excited about being able to play Mario Brothers. And then I look at the video games of today, like these RPG games that look like you're inside of an actual movie. Like for those who don't know, uh, I'm a really big fan of Kingdom Hearts. It's one of my favorite video games. And I recently had a chance to play like the newest installation of Kingdom Hearts. And when I say there's so much happening on the screen at the same time, I literally had to take like a brain break after playing for like five minutes because the graphics are so intense and there's so much activity on screen. 
I'm saying, can we just go back to the traditional 8-bit retro style video games where we're just moving in one direction? I don't know if my brain can handle it. Would you talk a little bit about what you shared with me in your questionnaire and specifically as it relates to central auditory processing disorder? I want to know if you can tell us a little bit about what that is and then how it affects your day-to-day -day life. So um, to put simply, uh, central auditory uh, processing disorder is basically um, when my um, brain uh, process uh, uh, verbal um, information. And so um, you may be uh, a person who is um, like neurotypical, maybe speaking maybe in his mind speaking like loud and clear to me, but that the message doesn't always come through. Mm -hmm. It's this whole um, process um, that often goes along with it. And so how it affects me in my, um, you know, day-to-day -day conversations is that um, sometimes I fail to recognize like the tone in which the person is like, um, speaking to me with, mm -hmm. and um, and also, um, I don't um, recognize that he, she, they, uh, what pronouns you like to use, mm -hmm. um, really just um, is speaking, um, sarcastically or is probably just making, um, you know, an idiom, right? Yeah. So I had to, you know, undergo like three years of like speech therapy in order to really enunciate um, my words so that um, the other person who is talking to me um, also gets um, what I will want him to hear mm. um, correctly. Mm. You know, what's interesting is being able to interpret tone is something that believe it or not is so common even for people who don't have a specific diagnosis that describes exactly what that neurological you know change or you know auditory change or disorder might be especially when it comes to written communication and when I think about, you know, our, our lifestyle in 2021, very rarely do people spend a lot of time on the phone uh, making actual phone calls, I should say. I feel like there was a shift that happened when smartphones were introduced and everybody started texting. Do you, do you recognize any difference in processing messages or conversation via text versus verbally and if so what does that look like for you um i honestly um don't like recognize um any um difference uh actually i believe that when it comes to text messaging mm -hmm. um it gives the like the recipient uh, a chance to think about um, what they want to say before saying it, mm -hmm. um, and, um, and and why when you're talking to an actual human being, like right in front of you, 
you want to um, really just, um, you know, say um, what um, has to be said, and, but not give the other person the impression that, oh, maybe he just, oh, maybe um, that person just ignored me or just kind of wiped me off. Um, and, it, and it really just, it, it's really like a, a gap. Yeah. For me, it's like a gap for me to um, to respond because I would want, you know, to find the most um, optimal answer. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. One of my favorite things about texting is exactly what you described. It's creating that gap or that space between the message that I'm receiving and my opportunity to respond because especially if it's like anything, you know, it could be something that like is, you know, a heated, you know, conversation or especially kind of going back to what you mentioned earlier, if you're exercising freedom and expressing your feelings about something to be able to like get your thoughts out and know that there's going to be at least maybe a 30, 15 second delay between when the person responds, depending on, you know, what the subject of the conversation is. I enjoy being able to have that space because in in-person conversation or phone calls, et cetera, the idea of a person taking a pause, like I imagine in my mind, I have a weird brain. I imagine in my mind what it would look like if those three dots popped up next to our heads in an actual conversation when we're trying to think about what we're going to say. Uh, I get that a lot too. Please continue. Yeah. You know, it's like when someone says something, it's like we, we, and I say we like collectively as, as people, we've kind of gotten conditioned to really feel like we have to fill the silence in between each person's thoughts or ideas or what people are saying instead of just letting the silence do what it does, which is kind of to serve as that space between listening and responding. I think one of the things that I picked up over the years is like a really valuable piece of information for me is the most important thing about a conversation is the listening part, not the talking part. Is really like taking the time to connect with what the other person is saying and to really make certain like, am I hearing you right? What I'm hearing is this. And so you mentioned being at, at a time in your life, spending some time in speech therapy can you talk a little bit about what that experience was like and then maybe share one of your your biggest takeaways that you think we could all probably benefit from when it comes to conversation yeah, i'll do my best okay okay <laughs> but, um basically um yes so three years of speech uh therapy i had a hard time um first of all um and not seeing uh words that start with the letter r and I often confuse that um, with like W, um, W words. And so, um, so one of my uh, speech uh, therapists who I can't remember the name of, basically um, um, like made, what, what do you call it? Made um, face poses or what, what do you call it? Mm -hmm. So that I, just like stretch the face so that I can um, enunciate the the word that starts with an R, 
properly. Mm. And 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 so that really are you kidding me? Um I even still have a challenge of that. Um really um helped me out. Interesting. Uh, and also um that was like one that was like one year. Um another is basically um associating words uh with pictures mm. and also um i had experience uh with i knowing um or just knowing how uh challenging um that can be because sometimes i don't um identify objects properly mm. uh, i may mislabel them and so Associating words with pictures may sound like an uh, easy task, but it, it often is challenging to me. Um, especially when it comes to um, like an, like a set of pictures that have like two um, like cartoon little cartoon characters, basically um, in a fixed position. Mm-hmm whether it's like um, taking out the trash or talking with the neighbor and how I can um, assess uh, the situation uh, behind these uh, cartoon uh, characters. And that was a, and that was a skill um, that, you know, probably still need improvement on. I know I've been improving over those years, but probably still do. Um, and also reading comp- comprehension, which was imperative, um, was also a challenge, uh, to me, um, because when it comes to, um, recalling a story that's been told, I challenge, I have challenges with that, um, as well. Mm-hmm. And so, um, when it comes to, um, um executing a speech i would need um like two weeks two to three weeks in advance or um if i'm talking um if i'm if i'm writing it um i it can only you know take a couple of days um but like actually talking and preparing for myself would actually have like a huge gap of time Mm -hmm just for me to draw every single point that has to be made. So in other words, rhetoric. Right, right. Mm. It reminds me a little bit what you just described as far as like taking the time to prepare to make a speech of that movie, The King's Speech that came out years ago. I think it was like an Oscar winning movie about a king, don't ask me which one because I don't remember, who had a speech impediment. And, you know, he's the king. So people expect to hear from him. They want him to be this great orator, this great articulate, you know, powerful speaking man. And he really wasn't. And so, you know, the course of the movie is about his journey to getting to that point where he makes like, ah, the big king speech. So, What's interesting and one of my my favorite things about this conversation so far is that there's an opportunity for people to really exercise the practice of being present for a conversation. 
And what's great about being able to talk to you in this way is really to get a better understanding of how your mind works, which really gives me a point of reference to how my mind works because I too am much better at communicating if I'm writing it down. I wrote a whole book. I can write books and poetries and notes and poems and scripts. I'm like, let me write it down. Do I have to talk about it? Can I just write it down? So it's interesting to me how even without an official diagnosis attached, that there's something that we have in common with each other that we're great writers. So so I love that. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about maybe one of the areas that you shared that are most interesting to you. And what stood out to me was the area of psychology, which is, you know, the study of human behavior. Can you talk a little bit about what interests you most in psychology? So what really interests me the most is, um, is not only how the human mind works, but also, um, how, how many other factors uh, contribute to psychology? There's um, biological um, factors. Um, there are basically, um, you know, envir- environment. Uh, environment um, has to deal with uh, psychology. Um, and I can't can't remember there were like three main factors that contribute to psychology but really what I was um more um interested in is like how different parts of the brain um play a uh like a very crucial role Mm -hmm. in um uh exhibiting behavior Mm. interesting have you ever considered or are you considering exploring a career that incorporates psychology and psychological study? I have a, at, at one point when I was in, um, in high school, um, but now in, in college, uh, since there's like so many factors to take in, yeah. um, I, I feel like I, I'm not, you know, backing down, but, <laughs> okay. uh, I feel like there's like a lot more um, to explore in, in regards to my areas of interest. Mm, I understand that. I understand that a lot. I feel like having like a general understanding of psychology, I think, is a, a, a benefit to to all human beings because when we can kind of gain a better understanding of what makes us do what we do and why we are the way we are, it can be helpful to kind of navigate conversations, relationships, etc. I also recognize that you're interested in theology. So are you are you the type of person who likes to study different practices of theology or do you focus your study in like one particular area? Talk to me a little bit about that. So um I what I really like um those a course that um, focuses on theology, and that's um, comparative theology. Took that in the fall mm-hmm. of 2019, and so it basic the course basically uh, gave an overview of the different um, religions that were um, practiced mm-hmm. uh, and are spread um, even 
well, spread Southern Los Angeles even today. Mm-hmm. And so, and how it really just meant, like really manifested. Um, so I really liked how um, it does noise, uh, please. Oh, um, it's, it's fine. No worries. Um, but basically, um, I really like the variety of the different like uh, theologies that took place um, uh, during that time. Um, my three most like favorite ones to study were uh, Christianity, um, Islam, and Judaism. Those are like the three. I would. I don't know statistic wise, but I want to say those are the three most practiced most practiced religions in the world. I think is that about right? I didn't take the theology class, but that's my best guess. <laughs> but but yeah, those are yeah, those are like the three most common that have been like the most um, spread out. Um, but I also do like um, I also am very fond of um, Hinduism. Mm, yeah yeah i um i never formally studied theology uh with the exception of taking you know a theology class you know a hundred years ago when i was in college uh but it was one of the first times that i had really noticed any similarities between you know each individual practice from you know, like you said, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, I think are like the big five, you know, that are kind of the ones that are practiced globally. And then when I went to study yoga is when I learned more about Hinduism. And that was when I got even a deeper understanding of it. And um, it's interesting, you know, it's one of those things where I even as a kid, I was always curious about world religions and, and, and world practices of spirituality. And then trying to figure out like, what if I was born in India? What would I be? You know, would I be Christian? Would I be Buddhist? Would I be a Hindi? What what would I look like? What would that, what would my practice be? So that's what was really curious to me about that study. I'm going to ask another question. And um, this is something that is going to go back a little bit to what we were talking about as it relates to disabilities or different abilities and recognizing that we all kind of show up in the world in a unique way. One of the questions I like to ask before we actually meet is um, something about you that most people don't know. So can you speak a little bit about something about you that most people don't know? I think um, one thing's for sure uh, that most people don't know about me is that um, unless the we're in, I'm in a situation and mm-hmm. unless there is a, a, a top, unless people are having a conversation and that I am fully um, interested in, um, I'm going to stem. It's going to happen. Mm. And so uh, stemming behaviors, uh, what they, what it look and everyone's, everyone stems. Um, it's a calm behavior and, Mine is more um, more apparent um, in the sense of I basically uh, pace around um, a specific um, area um, or that I'm basically processing what what everyone is saying what's um, what what my surroundings are mm-hmm. 
And so um, two of the most effective ways that reduces my STEM behavior are exercise and expanding my horizons. Because I figured that if I were to um, expand my horizons, that um, it that it would um, help me be more engaged in topics that I would have never thought about being interested in. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit more about what expanding your horizons means. So expanding my horizons um, basically means, um, it basically means putting um, yourself um, out there. And, you know, not being afraid to be, um, you know, when you are exposed to something that's unfamiliar, that you um, take it as an opp- opportunity to learn something um, new. I like that. It's interesting. I'm familiar with stemming, and I'm glad that you said what you said, which is that everybody stems, because I think a lot of times people don't recognize that they're stemming when their leg is shaking while they're in a conversation or maybe they're tapping their foot or they're cracking their knuckles, you know, or they're grinding their teeth or they're doing something physical, you know, in their body. I remember when everybody had those fidget spinners, remember those things that everybody had that they were spinning around? That was a form of stemming, you know what I mean? So it was interesting, the other day I was thinking about this concept. Is scrolling a form of stemming? If you think about in our culture where everybody's carrying around a device, right? And you're in a scenario, in a social setting, and maybe the conversation just isn't engaging or not interesting to you, what do people do? They pull out their phone and they start to scroll. And I was wondering, is scrolling a form of stemming? Because if we think about it, it's that physical, you know, activity that can be relaxing, soothing, calming, you know, to kind of keep you in the experience that's happening right now. But when I thought about it, I was like, holy smokes, I think that people are really stemming by scrolling because sometimes people are scrolling and they're not looking at anything important. They're just kind of listening to what's going on, but not really fully engaged. So that was when I was like, you know what, I'm asking about that. So I think scrolling is stemming. What do you think? That I don't know the answer, but, um, but you know, I think, um, as far, as far as for me, um, you know, my, um, you know, uh, STEM behaviors, um, and in comparison to like a a person that's going on the phone, looking at not anything that's really unimportant, um, I, the similarity is that, um, there's like a disengagement. Yes. Um, right. And I, and I, I mean, I do, um, I do agree with that. Um, I think the process works um, differently. Um, for me, it's, um, I stem because something is replaying uh, in my head. Like, and when I say um, something's replaying, I'm talking about flashy images that come from, either action adventure uh, movies and video games or um, basically um, thriller movies. Mm. Um, 
Uh, that's where like the stemming um, often um, stems from. <laughs> <laughs> um, but ba- yeah, but basically um, these um, images um, that I choose to expose um, in my head um, basically play a role in my in my uh, stemming because I want this um, instant um, gratification. Um, basically, it's like um, form of es- escapism. I wouldn't say escapism. Sometimes it is. Okay. Um, but it's also just um, um, boredom. It's also just a way of leaving boredom. from boredom. Yep. I totally get it. Like... We've all been on Zoom a lot in the last year, probably more than our whole lives or since Zoom was ever invented. And sometimes, you know, I've been in trainings or meetings where I'm like, when is this going to be over? And I start singing songs in my mind or I start like you said, replaying scenes from movies or replaying other experiences or like thinking about what I'm going to eat later or like wondering where do they get those shoes or what's in the background? So I don't know if that's just um, attention deficit or an active imagination. I'm not quite sure what to call it, but I definitely find myself figuring, you know, having to figure out ways to kind of like remain calm because I know for me, something that most people don't know about me is that I have anxiety, super, super high levels of anxiety. And one thing that I found that has really helped me to be able to develop a sense of resiliency or coping with anxiety has been meditation and breath work and being able to really do my best to bring myself back to the present moment as much as possible. Because one of my therapists told me years ago that anxiety lives in the future. You know, it it hasn't even happened yet. You know, that worry about what could, you know, what's coming next. Whereas the present, you know, the gift is in the present. So doing my best to kind of just like bring myself back. And sometimes I find myself talking to myself. And if I'm in a situation where I feel myself kind of going or like leaving the situ- leaving the conversation or leaving the experience, I have to like invite myself back into the moment mentally. So what's interesting to me about this conversation, and this is like I said, I'm probably going to say this again, is just the similarities in the way that our minds work, not necessarily the physical brain that lives within us, but our minds are very similar. And something that stood out to me in your responses to one of the questions I asked was another like confirmation that we are like kindred spirits in a sense. One of the questions that I asked is, if you could reside anywhere in the world, where would you live and why? Will you share your answer to that? I said I will live in New Zealand because it offers a space for me to unwind and explore all the famous attraction sites. I just looked it up on the web and it looks beautiful. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. It looks amazing. I had a coworker who was from New Zealand and New Zealanders are called Kiwis. It's like a, a you know, a cute name for them. Um, and they're very adamant about making sure that you know that they are not Australian. <laughs> They are from New Zealand. <laughs> They're from New Zealand. 
but yeah, I actually, um, I have a, a friend of a friend who lives in New Zealand. She's from California originally and just kind of like packed her bags one day and now she lives in New Zealand and says that it's beautiful. So maybe you'll end up there someday. Another question that I have for you, and this is a question for anyone who's listening that goes on to every single podcast questionnaire and everybody answers it differently. If you woke up tomorrow morning with $100 million in your bank account, what is the first thing that you would do? First thing I would do is invest money in traveling companies so that I can be provided with the best modes of transportation while ins ensuring public safety. Um, basically, my, my own health is um, taken care of. You know, I'm not getting uh, seasick or I'm not, you know, thrown up in the plane and nothing like that. And then I'm not, you know, causing a hazard. Oh, man, I, I don't, I don't want to be the cause of that. Um, but basically, that would be the first thing um, I would do. I like that. I like that. You know, it's interesting because I've heard, I mean, I'll tell you, I have heard some interesting answers to that question. And it kind of says a lot, you know, I've had people, you know, say like, oh, I'd, I'd buy my mom a house or I'd buy my dad a boat or whatever. And you're like, I'm just going to make sure that I can get to all the places I want to go without causing a ruckus. <laughs> so I can appreciate that. I can appreciate that. Well, before we go, we're going to switch gears a little bit. And this is something I like to do on every podcast. And it's something that's called complete the sentence. So I'm gonna give you a sentence prompt and then you can finish it with the best answer that comes to you in the moment. So the first one is, I am happiest when? I am by myself. I know I'm fed up when? People don't respect my boundaries. I want to be known for my contribution to the world. Mm. Okay. And last, before we go, we're going to get into a time machine in our minds. And we're going to get in this time machine, and I want you to go back to your 16-year-old self. And you step out of your time machine, and you see your 16-year-old self, what is the first thing that you say? Thank you. Hmm. Time for a break. Time for a breather. One thing that we often forget to do as we move throughout our lives, throughout our day, is to breathe. So I invite you right now to allow three deep, intentional breaths to enter and exit your body. And by the time you're done, we will be ready to continue. Thank you so much for listening. conversation has been absolutely wonderful. I have thoroughly enjoyed spending this time talking with you. I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you so, so much for saying yes to being a part of my podcast. 
and for sharing a little bit more of your story with others. You are one of the most interesting people that I've had the privilege of interviewing and sitting with and talking with. You have definitely enlightened me and you've really given me some inspiration and some things to think about. And I just wanna say how much I appreciate you for being exactly who you are, for showing up in this world as the unique individual that you have been created to be. And I just encourage you to keep moving forward, to keep being an inspiration so that that end of life version of you is able to say, job well done. Good job, kid. <laughs> so I appreciate you. I love you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Love you too. And hope you have a great, great blessed day. Thank you. Okay. See you soon. Bye. Bye. It's time to wrap this up and I just want to say very sincerely thank you. You have your choice of thousands of different podcasts that you could be listening to each day and I appreciate you for choosing this to be one of them. Right now in this moment I see the light, I see the love, the wisdom, the beauty, the prosperity, the creativity and the pure joy that shines within each of you and I bow humbly before your divinity. Namaste.